You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to the Up Your Brave show here on Reality Check Radio, and I'm your host, Natalie Cutler-Welsh. Next, I'm going to be chatting with Aaron McLaughlin on the topic of navigating the psychological triggers. Ooh, welcome to the show, Aaron. Thank you very much, Natalie. So good to see you here all the way from Christchurch. <laughs> For those of you that don't know Aaron, Aaron McLaughlin has been coaching people since 1996. I think I came to New Zealand in, back in 1996 or seven. And for the last five years, he has also been officiating funerals as a celebrant. Trained in clinical hypnosis and neurolinguistic programming, NLP, Aaron has worked with clients with a variety, a broad range of goals and challenges. His tagline, if you can put your dream or challenge into words, then I can help you with it. Author of three books, trainer of health professionals in New Zealand and Australia. He has also been the past president of both the New Zealand Association of Professional Hypnotherapists and the New Zealand NLP Association. Aaron received his black belt in karate at the age of 19, has worked as a professional photographer, and has played the violin for most of his life. Aaron has walked the boards in theater, worked as a medical clown doctor in Christchurch Hospital and rest homes, and on occasion has generated laughter and bombed uh, as a stand-up comedian. He was also a presenter for the Do or Die TV series, coaching families with major life challenges, volunteering for community groups such as Voices for Freedom, running Courageous Conversation workshops, and pre-COVID, hosting a radio show on Christchurch Plains FM about sleep have kept Aaron busy. Aaron's grounding over the last 33 years is his daily practice of transcendental meditation. What an eclectic background. Welcome. I'm so excited to hear more about that. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, well, it's um. If you, you those of you that can't see us, we are very branded with our Reality Check Radio. I've got my Reality Check Radio background. Aaron's wearing his Reality Check Radio T-shirt, and we are good to go. Tell us a little bit more about your backstory. How did you get into this area, and why did you choose this topic, psycholo- navigating the psychological triggers? So I guess that where I start with it is back in. I was about 18, 17, 18 years old, and I was working, living in Auckland, working for a friend of my father's who was doing landscaping, and I was weed spraying a car park midsummer. I had my shorts on, I was wearing a leaking copper pump, and I didn't know at the time I was spraying paraquat, and so I got very sick, and that lasted for 15 years, really. But I didn't know I had paraquat poisoning for six. And on the verge of kind of leaving this mortal coil, as they say, um, dad, I had to live with my father. I couldn't work anymore um, because uh, I was technically termed munted. I couldn't function at all. Um, And dad came home one day and told me about someone who told him about someone. And we went and met this guy called Matt Tizard who at the time had been working with a group of firemen who had gone through what was known as the ICI fire in South Auckland. And he was helping them to detox using unusual techniques, um, some of them based in rife technology and using decompression chambers, intravenous vitamin C and these sorts of things. And he found after six years that I had paraquat poisoning. I was at the point of dying and his machinery is so subtle and it didn't register my organs. That's how far gone I was. was. And I have to say that it was probably about a year or two earlier than that, that my father came home once again. It would be a year year earlier that dad um, connected me with transcendental meditation. And that was the one thing that kept me um, above, what would you call it, drowning level. As a, in a sense, what was happening internally was paraquat is a herbicide, um, and it's a very oily herbicide created by Monsanto back in the times, but it was actually used um, in Vietnam War as a defoliant. And so it's extremely toxic, and it wraps itself like an oily seal around your cells. So they just stop being able to do what they can do. And I had no idea that that was happening until I met Tizard. Um, and we went through a very long, five days 
of decompression chambers with oxygen, um, intravenous oxygen, breathing higher levels of oxygen. And this stuff just started pouring out of my system. It was like coming out of my skin. I remember going into a, a sauna with my father. He said, let's go to the sauna to help you out. Anyway, and he had to, he started moving away. And I said, what's happening? He says, you absolutely stink. And look what's coming out of your skin. And it was literally this ooze coming out of my skin. It was just revolting. So I thought having paracord was bad enough. The detox was a hundred times worse. So we, you know, that went for about 18 months. During that time, I went through um, deep depression, um, suicidal ideation, all sorts of manifestations of a detox process. Um, and I was sitting with Matt one day and, and it was late in the day. And at the time, Auckland is extremely toxic because of South Auckland um, and all of the um, horticultural work that goes on there. Anyway, so he had been working with 40 people that day. I was the last person. He plugs me into this machinery to find out what's going on. He says, okay, well, you've got Roundup. And he does this process. I said, listen, mate, I'm feeling so depressed. And he does this little technique with me that I now know, well, found out months later was called um, parts integration in neuro-linguistic programming, a very, very powerful um, process. And he did that for 10 minutes. And while he was doing it, there's a little process where you're anchoring the person you're working with. He fell asleep. <laughs> so funny. But as he he fell asleep working because he had his hands on my on my knees, it was it, it you know it's, it, it's all appropriate and pr the process is really amazing. Is this because he was so tired, or because he was, he was so tired? Okay. He was working. He like he at the time he was in his sixties, maybe maybe early seventies. He was seeing minimum forty people a day because Auckland's so toxic and. Yeah. And it's the southwest wind bringing the dried horticultural poisons from um, the Bombay Hills and just mm -hmm. spreading them across Auckland. That's literally what's happened. And then you've got Roundup just being used by every other person every other day. And so, so he just fell asleep. So I woke him up because the depression popped. It just went. It just disappeared completely in 10 minutes. And I, I shook him and I said, Matt, what was this? What did you do? He says, oh, I did this little course over the weekend. <laughs> I said, you did what? And I said, so I found out who it was. And it was a guy named, um, oh, gosh, Merv Holster. Um, he's passed on now, passed on about 15 years ago. Anyway, so he is a clinical hypnotherapist, and he taught me everything. He got me started, and that's how I got going. And the tools in clinical hypnosis married with neuro-linguistic programming, which is a pri primarily a modeling tool, not a therapy tool. Let's say modeling tool, meaning modeling peak experience process. That was the thing that just got me so fascinated. And, um, and it's kind of been, that's where my focus has been ever since really. And, it, and when everything was getting really challenging with the detox, that's what pulled me through um, and kept me going. So that's how I, gotta, I got into it. I've got to commend your dad as well for being so open to that long-term journey of that detox, you know, 18 yeah. months detoxing. I mean, a lot of people would be like, it's not working, you know, or you're worse now than you were before because they don't understand how detox works. Yeah, well, dad was, dad's fascinating. I mean, the poor, poor bugger, he's got dementia now. He's up in Northland and um, I, I've been going up over the last three months to just see how he's going he's but he's a happily demented guy <laughs> which is really a positive thing um but he was one of the first people to be taught transcendental meditation by um by one of the first teachers that came back from working with maharishi Mahesh yogi way back in the early days back in the 70s and dad was one of the first people to be taught and he did it for two or three years and then he just stopped doing it and he came home one day having been reminded and he said, oh, mate, you should you should do this. So he dragged me along. And that just, I just transcended immediately. As soon as I, I got the process, as soon as the initiation process went through, I was sitting in the room on my own and I just popped. I just went so deep and I've never had a problem meditating ever since. It was just almost like I was built for it. And then learning, understanding hypnosis, I realized the connection between TM, most meditation, and how it's just a more artfully vague way of doing a kind of deep trance process um and yeah so 
got talk at length about that. Is, but, the, yeah. is the TM, as you call it, the transcendental meditation, is that something you need to go and do with yes. others? Or once you train, you can do it on your own in your Oh, no, no, house? no. You do, you do it on your own once you've like you have what's called initiation, which sounds like a bloody cult, but it's not. <laughs> it's it's basically you 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 meet your teacher in a group s- situation, and then you have a one on one where they pass you the the mantra, um, and the mantra is just a meaningless word that gives you access to transcendence rather than externalized kind of distraction. And for me, um, it worked immediately. And but I was right for it. I was in a pretty shocking state. So, um, yeah, did that answer the question? So, yeah, yes, from that point what, what, on, it's 20 what minutes. What a huge journey you've had. You've had a massive yeah. journey through that that health journey, which has led you to where you are today. Also, all the other interesting things you do with the drama and the mm-hmm. music. Um, but let's talk about the topic, the navigating the psychological triggers. Yeah. What guidance, you know, with all the work that you've done over the years and knowing where Kiwis are at right now mm-hmm. and with everything we've been through, particularly the last three years, but even in the lead up to that, what are some of the triggers that uh, people are experiencing and what can we do about that? Well, I'll give you an example. I had an email sent to me just the other day and it was from a client who said, you know, um, the she, she was listening to the radio and there was the voice of the ex-prime minister who just immediately triggered her into a whole state of um, just such a myriad of emotions, anger, frustration, fear, um, depression, you know, all these different things and anxiety based on all of those experiences that had occurred over the last three years during that person's um, uh place in in the world (laughs) world. you know the name who won't be mentioned but fundamentally you know that was an example of what and that's kind of what stimulated me to get in touch which was well you know and and running groups i run a courageous conversations group have done for 18 months every week and this is in early days this was constantly coming up constantly coming up and when we when we're running groups, when we're running the workshops, when we're doing these things, it's just constantly coming up. People, you know, when we went and saw um, the River of Freedom, you know, as soon as her, yeah. you know, Jacinda came up, everyone's going, oh, and there were some people kept felt violently ill. Now, I'm not going to say that that's because of the person that they're responding to. It's the person's inner experience mm-hmm. as a triggered response to that. Mm-hmm. Now, the discussions we have around that is that the, just looking at my notes here, because I wanted to make sure I got a few of these right. The first thing about a trigger that's really important is a reframe. And NLP or neuro-linguistic programming, you know, is, is useful in this frame is that it, the reframe is, well, thank goodness we are getting this trigger because it's a sign that we're functioning properly. It's a sign that we're connected to what is right for us. It's a sign that we are still viscerally connected to our heart, our gut, um, a sense of right action, maybe, um, uh, natural law, even if you like, not in the, yeah, in the, in the grounded, in the earth sort of sense. And so when we, have been through a significant event like we have collectively as you know in the in the realm of making our own decisions with respect to medical interventions then I've been very aptly vague around how I go about this. Oh you can fundam- say anything on our show. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. We just try not well, to I mean, it's just you know it's just we made our decisions to not get the jab. And yeah. fundamentally that over a number of years meant that we were ostracized, we were um, there was a form of apartheid, and there were vicious um, discussions out there around what should be done about it, mm-hmm. um, even from our now prime minister and and you know other other members of of um, both political parties, actually all of the political parties, to be fair, and so the the uh the thing that we still are able to do is go no which is really fundamentally a yes to what we know what is right for us so we're saying no you know stop with this talk stop with telling us what we should do what are we really doing we're saying yes i know what's right for me i know what feels 
that I feels right to do, and this is what I need to do about that. And so that's a reframe that is really important in this situation. And also, secondly, it's a there's a there's two psychological processes in um that are very, very um powerful in our lives. And one is an away from um, momentum and one is the towards momentum. What I'm noticing with um, uh, a lot of discussion um, that's been going on pre and post election is this whole thing around um, who, how we were motivated to to uh, vote, for mm-hmm. example. And most of the motivation I had noticed um, pre election was and away from. I don't want this to happen anymore. I don't want this to happen anymore. The challenge with that is, is that there's no outcome direction. There's no sense of what I, what do I want as an outcome. And when we switch the away from to a towards, we've, we're very much making a statement to ourselves of what do I want? One of the most primary queries we have when we sit down with a in a coaching situation is well and it's it's actually really good when we get lost in conversation we go wait a minute let's stop are we on track what do we want mm-hmm. you know and keep coming and that's your towards because most people when you sit you'll know this natalie when you sit down with someone in coaching they can spend half an hour telling you what they don't want but it's been an hour telling you what they don't want you know and I, I agree. I was going to say the same thing in because I mm. in the, I'm more in the entrepreneurial business space, but the same mm. thing. But often it's a it's a kind of a backup option. It's like if they don't know what their goals are or their vision for the future mm. or whatever, we go. They're like, I honestly, I'm so overwhelmed. I have no idea. Okay, no problem. Tell me what you don't want. You know, and that mm. is kind mm. of a yeah. starting point to get the ball rolling. That is easier for people, which is kind of sad, mm. but it does it does move them towards what they do want and. Um, and that's important. Yeah. For, do you, you know, that's important for people to, in order to move forward, to know what they do want. So you were just saying that at the end of the election, a lot of people were kind of motivated or in, uh, by the fact that they didn't want a certain party or certain policies coming in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what they were doing was they, you know, they they were repelled by certain policies. They were repelled by certain mechanisms of the state, or whatever you want to call it, and potentially even this this um, totalitarianism, sort of that seems to be on the cards out there. You know, certainly at a global level. And and yet, I think what we struggle with, and I'll, I'll own this personally myself, is we kind of struggle with, well, what do I actually want if I don't have those things? What is a a free society. What does that mean? Like, how do I, how do I run that even internally? You know, as someone who's been working coaching for, for what feels like for my life and also gone through so much of, um, self processing before I got into the coaching because of the illness is it, well, you know, what, what is, what is my response? Is my response actually a free response or is it actually part of the cultural program response of how I should respond in this kind of situation. And then the question comes, well, if I negate all that and I say, well, that's just culture, that's just, then I've got to actually ask myself, well, actually, what do I want? And secondly, how will I know? How will I even be able to identify with having it? You know, one of the things we, I work a lot with um, illness. You know, a lot of people have, um, you know, get a lot of people at the end of they've tried everything and then they mm. suddenly realize well and maybe I need to look at the psychology of this or the emotional states you know and you know one of the questions in in um in the coaching is well what will you want uh, sorry what do you want and if you would imagine how will you know you're experiencing what you want you know, now if we're spending all of our time not thinking of the black cat, you know, the away from psychology, you know, don't think of this form of society, don't think of that, don't do this and that, you know, you're still holding those paradigms in your head to know what you're talking about. And and so it becomes quite difficult to, well, what do I want instead? You know, what and how will I know? How will I recognize that thing when I'm there, you know? 
So we, it's interesting about the triggers. You started off talking about really what I'm going to call a voice-based trigger. So it's yeah. even just hearing, so yep. hearing. So even for some people, it might be a song that comes on the radio. It really, you know, sometimes yeah. it triggers amazing memories and sometimes horrible memories. Same thing. You hear someone's specific voice. Hopefully, when people hear my voice, it triggers a good reaction, but not not for everyone. And I'm okay yeah. with that. What yeah. are some of the other triggers that a lot of people are experiencing these days? Well, the second one um, is is a visual trigger, of course. Um, the visual trigger is we see um, a person or a thing and we're immediately uh, triggered into, because the brain is constantly going, how do I know this? It's constantly going, well, how do I recognize? It's looking for news, mm. always looking for news, always looking for new stuff. It looks for difference. That's what it's looking for all the time. It, it's curious. It's insatiably curious. And so it sees this thing and it goes, well, what am I, if we were to slow mo this down to a million times slow mo, the subconscious is going, oh, I recognize that. Now, what is that? And it goes into the sub, goes, oh, oh my God, you know, this is that thing when. And then suddenly, before we know it, we're running a triggered memory, kind of like a bunch of vignettes, you know, tiny little magic moves <laughs> that roll in the back of the room. And next minute, our gut wants to surge or our heart skips a beat. And then we'll get maybe a narrative that goes with that, a dialogue. And then we're suddenly aware, like we've slowed this down a million times. <laughs> so that happens like that. It happens immediately. And that's the... That's the exceptional beauty of the mind-body system is that it can do this so quickly. Now, what we want to do at that point is we want to intervene. And, and intervening, recognizing that this is actually a natural, you know, it's kind of like, you know, there's saber-toothed tigers out there. You know, we're living in a cave and there's saber-toothed tigers and we're constantly listening for the roar. We're constantly listening for the, the creaking you know, um, forest. Mm. We're constantly listening because we're in flight or fight. The trouble with after three years of this, many people are living in flight or fight because they're constantly being triggered. They see another COVID sign. They see another- I was another, just thinking of the COVID yep. sign. You walk you into an dairy and this old yep. sign is still there. I know. Yeah, I was, at the, I was filling up the gas yesterday and there was one on a post at this non-personal- gas station thing you know ones that have no humans it's just put your card in and and there was a, you know it was like a sign in it was on the post i'm going well it's <laughs> just ludicrous stuff and then for many people though that just that reminds them of the time they wanted to go to their favorite cafe and they're not yeah. allowed there anymore so they make these associations it takes them yep. back there it's like you know i see a mask in the gutter and i get all like aggro <laughs> yeah we saw one this morning you know i mean i've i've walked on uh, New Brighton Beach in, in Christchurch many, many times. And I'd often, pre-COVID, I'd often gone, wow, it's just such a clean beach, so little plastic, so little anything. And what I've noticed after COVID is just, you know, I've seen masks washing up on the beach, you know, and I'd never seen, I'd never seen plastic or junk, mm -hmm. just driftwood and stuff like that. So these triggers are really important. The other one is, uh, the third one is the most powerful, and that's smell. So smell, um, can be, um, it, smell bypasses the critical factor of the brain. It just goes straight into the primal um, and it's the fastest acting. So, you know, you smell baking, you remember mother's baking. So the, here's the other thing, you have beautiful positive triggers. This is the thing we must yeah. remember. Yeah. So this system is built for a, a huge range of, ex, range of experience. It's not just for fight or flight and survival. It's also to how to recognize joy, beauty, that sort of thing. I mean, one thing that's been on my mind so much lately is there's just no beauty in what we're, what we've been through. There's just no, I think Neil Oliver even said it recently on a, he says, you know, where's the beauty in this? Where's the beauty in anything political, financial at the moment? It's just, and, and, and those are the most beautiful triggers. You know, when my favorite is seeing a bumblebee plunge into the middle of a, you know, into the middle of a flower. You know, and just the joy of that and seeing the flower swing from side to side as it's trying to deal with this this bumblebee. You know, that's a trigger for joy, for creativity. You know? I feel like I feel like we can always see that we can always find the beauty. 
Yeah. This is my take on the world. We mm -hmm. can always find the beauty. Like it might be like, yeah, there's a COVID sign here and there's a mask in the gutter over there. But oh my goodness, look at that bumblebee. You know, yeah. we can choose yeah. to what we focus on festers, right? Yeah. Um, so there is that. But we want to acknowledge, like if we are triggered, I think the important thing is to acknowledge, wow, interesting. Thank you, universe, yeah. for showing that I'm still bothered by that. Yeah. Is it is that important piece of it like doing the work like go, like how do we stop being triggered by some of these negative things? Well, you is don't. There, is there something we can do? You don't. So the the thing is because you're dealing with the subconscious process. So we can try the kind of CBT cognitive behavioral kind of format, which is like you know <laughs> we get the rubber band and we ping ourselves every time on the wrist <laughs> every time we we get a bad thought. But you know this, you know um, Oxford did a, a longitudinal um, research meta research on that and it. You know, it's 50-50, flick a coin. The fundamental thing is, is that I think you're absolutely right. There is so much beauty. And the more we put our attention on that, the more that will grow. You know, there's a wonderful book, um, Power Versus Force by Andrew Hawkins, and the research into kinesiology, and they mapped um, a positive versus a, a negative thought. And um, the negative thought was 10 to the power of negative five weaker in watts than a positive thought. So what it meant was, you know, one positive thought is a hundred thousand times stronger than a negative thought. We've just got to remind ourselves to keep bringing out our attention to those positive thoughts, which can, for some, be be a real challenge on a daily basis. So it's looking for nature, I think. Mm. You know, the studies they've done in the states where they take CEOs out of New York and they, you know, and these the CEOs have all got these the markers for heightened blood pressure neuroses, sleeping problems, all these different stuff, and they throw them up to upstate Boston <laughs> and stick them into some forest bathing for, for a week. And, you know, within 48 hours, all their markers start mm -hmm. to drop and all their markers of wellness start to rise. You know, a lot of the challenges we have and the lack of beauty maybe is because there's no nature in it. It sort of almost seems to be denatured or anti-nature. And so the remedy to that is come back to you know, a lot of people talk about earthing now, which is a science now. Walk around bare feet in the morning grass, you know, just connects us to the earth. Get more vitamin D, those sorts of things. Um, if the we do those things that you mentioned, like grounding and having some nature time and, and yep. things like that, are we then going to be less triggered? Like, can we kind of fill up our non-trigger tank in good ways to therefore not be so triggered? You know, a little bit more yep. neutral about things. Yeah, I I think we can. I think at a baseline, it it builds a resilience in the physiology because I mean the physio the mind body system is not separate. It's integrated. It's all you know. And then you've got the etheric body, which deals with the resonance of that that which we can't see or hear or feel. And so you've got this this very very broad scope. So the more that we can connect with um with nature, that which we kind of evolved from i guess on one level you know that which seems to be operating regardless of us um and that we can't help but admit we're deeply connected to the more we connect into that the more we we build resilience flexibility um and a sense of maybe being in a greater world um of higher or or more broad connection that has more validity in terms of an experience than these kind of, you know, three-year cycles of politics, which are really nothing more than made-up fictions. You know, the whole concept of politics, you know, that was easy, very easy to forget is that it's it's a construct, it's a fiction that we make up. I just want to, you know, the thing about also, which comes from um, in neuro-linguistic programming, which is, you know, never do a wiki on NLP, but the fundamental thing is, is the premise is modeling. And the really interesting thing is, is the structure of the trigger is more important than what the trigger was. I was lying in bed the other night and um, I woke up in the middle of the night and I had a thought. And it was about um, I've been watching a lot of Twitter. I watched too much Twitter the other night and especially around what was happening in the Middle East. and. I just got a worm in my head and the worm was basically just a repeating song, <laughs> believe it or not. And it's a song that I just can't stand. And, and I was thinking, well, you know, a lot of people say, well, how do you get rid of the song? The answer is how do I get 
how do I change the structure of the song in my head so it no longer has any power? The song going around in my head was We Built the City on Rock and Roll, which I just I just can't stand that song. And I think it's partly because it was just so repeated on every radio station for so long. And it's just, I just can't stand it. Some people love it. Now we're all singing it, by the way. So, sorry, what? Now we're all singing it in our heads. Yeah. So <laughs> to get rid of the worm, you can't get rid of the, it, they call it a, you know, a sound worm. So you don't get rid of it, you change it. And, and you change it by making a change to the speed or to the tone or to one of the words or something. And you note how that change that you make changes how you feel. So all I did, I was lying in bed and going, oh, there's that song. So I slowed it all the way down. And then and then stopped having the effect on me. It took about two minutes. And what it was is as soon as you do that, well, as soon as I did that, it changed the song from having a default structure to having choice of structure, which means I could choose the one unconsciously that, feels the best and i woke up you know a couple of hours later the fundamental thing is triggers are very very powerful on on so many levels positively negatively and neutrally when we have ones that are um that are problematic rather than getting engaged in the narrative what i call the shortland street of the trigger i.e. who it is, what they're talking about, all that sort of stuff. A really powerful way of, one of a better way, neutralizing or dealing with the trigger is how am I structuring that trigger in my head? What comes to mind as soon as uh, that I hear that voice or I see that person? What comes to mind? And if I play with what comes to mind, either the way it's sounding, like I make it sound like Minnie Mouse, or I make it sound like a horse baying, or I make it sound like, you know, whatever I want, or I change it from color to black and white if it's an image, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Then what happens is my brain suddenly goes, oh, I've got choices. Mm -hmm. That's freedom. And when we start doing that more, we're not having to get involved with all the, the background neuroses, the background psychopathology that is actually part of the owner of the trigger, i.e. the person in the space who's who's doing the triggering, for want of a better way of putting it. Then it puts it in our position. Who, how am I responding and how can I take control of that? This is a long conversation, you know, that could be going for hours, but it's it's a really unique way of doing it. So it's no longer that person out there who's saying, doing, or whatever. It's now me taking control of how I choose to internally respond to what's going on outside of me. Now, I, if we I think do, that's great. You've given us yeah. an actionable strategy, which I love. Yeah. And yes. what I've written down is change the structure instead yeah. of lapsing back into the story, because normally yeah. we'd go back into the story of what that person did, and we'd go into naming, shaming, blaming, and complaining, yeah. which is victim mode. Um, and you're, it's, so you're giving us a strategy, which is yeah. changing the structure so that we are more empowered. So thank yes. you. Yeah. Pleasure. I would love to now go to uh, some other triggers, and then I want to come to the election. Um yeah. So other triggers, especially at the moment, you know, current events, you turn on the news, you know, Israel invasion, all of a sudden people are triggered because maybe when they grew up, their country was invaded, or maybe they were really worried about Ukraine, but now they're suddenly not worried about Ukraine. They're suddenly, you know, and and people are getting triggered by current events or current events that they're being told, you know, and we, I always uh. advise people take everything with a grain of salt, just what we're being told and how we're being shown may not always be absolutely accurate. Um, what are your thoughts on that in terms of pe people being triggered by the news as such? Well, those triggers are very different. And if I'm walking down the street and I see a COVID sign, I, I didn't know that that COVID sign was going to be there. But if I go onto social media or I turn it on, I pretty much have to have an expectation that something's going to trigger me. It's going to trigger my humanity. Mm -hmm. It's going to trigger my 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 desire to be able to help in some way it's you know it's going to trigger some aspect of of me so 
The first call is, am I getting triggered by going on social media? And what are the specific, like, you know, X at the moment is just so full on. It's just, it's full on. And if you're in your own little echo chamber, i.e., you know, the algorithm's just giving you more and more of the same, then chances are the triggers is just going to just keep rolling. So find out or ask yourself, what are the main social medias that are triggering the most? and pull out. The fundamental thing is about them, even if it's to do with the election in New Zealand at the moment, and that could be triggering for a lot of people, is that is the query that we ask in the Courageous Conversations groups is, is this in my sphere of influence? Can I do anything about this? You know, is this actually something that even knowing is helping me to do what I need to do, to do what I need to do in my family, in my work situation. Is this relevant? And if it's not, and you know that it's potentially triggering you, drop out. Like, just pull the plug on it. And that, you know, I've had a couple of people in the group come back after two weeks of not doing social media going, oh my God, my life has changed. You know, simply because they pulled out of Telegram, they pulled out of... because. These rabbit holes, they, they, you know, they just, they keep scrolling. There's more and more and yada, yada. Now that's the dopamine just gets hit. It's like, you know, we, we know this from all the research into the, the scroll right, the scroll up and all these different things. The guys who invented them won't let their kids have phones because of it, mm -hmm. because it's a dopamine um, addiction. That's what it does. And, and, and secondly, um, you know, one of the things that saved my life really was the the awareness of fascination, curiosity. And the prime mover, I feel very strongly about the prime mover, mover at the subconscious level, and it comes out of the Veda, actually, the, the um, Hindu Veda, is, is curiosity, that ultimate fascination at the deepest level. So we are designed to look for the next curious thing because we want to evolve, we want to grow. But at the subconscious level, it's not going to judge whether this thing is necessarily bad for us or not. It's just going to go, wow, that's interesting. Wow, that's fascinating. It's then that we make the judgment following that, whether it feels good or not, whether it's where it's what we want or not. Now, there are a lot of people who keep scrolling, even though it's feeling bad, mm -hmm. because we're now addicted. We're addicted to that feedback loop of, I need to know more. I need to know more. And we lose track of ourselves. We become externally referenced, which is the antithesis of freedom. We want to be self-referenced. And that's where we go, okay, well, is this something I can influence? Is this actually useful in my life right now? And if the answer is no, then pull the cord. <laughs> you know, that's step one. That's just step one, because we know if I'm walking down the street and I'm triggered by this thing that I didn't know was going to happen, I can't control that. I have to then control my response. And often with those triggers, it's post. So I have to do it. You know, if you've suddenly triggered, I have to then do something. You know, we could do some havening, which you've talked about in one of the talks. Yes. We can do, you know, some havening. We do some EFT if we want. You know, we can do these different techniques. Um, later on, when we've cooled down, we can, oh, what was that other one? The guy from up north, you know, breathe in four, hold, breathe out eight. You know, the longer breathe out drops candles the Candles and flowers. I remember someone so was talking about candles and flowers. Candles and flowers, all those sorts of things. So once again, they're ways of transcending. So they're distraction, essentially, they're curious building because anything that integrates the mind-body system, like havening, like EFT, those sorts of things, will drop the body down into a more um, relaxed state, an alpha state. So then we can deconstruct what happened and then we can restructure it. Then we can go, well, actually, I'm going to imagine myself out there in the future having restructured this in the same context and notice what feels different. Because once you've restructured it, your brain's going to go, wow, I didn't know I could do this. I'm going to do this every time now. You know, it's like once you've got the once you've got your balance on the push bike, that's it. It's done. You know, once you can write your name for the first time perfectly, it's like, well, that's done. I can now write my name. You know, the neurology's now there. Yeah. 
Is there is there a positive side to triggers? Because so I help uh, women in business, particularly with their extraordinary impact. And when some people are like, I just don't know the impact I want to have. Often I'll say something like, well, what are you so excited about that you just can't help yourself? Or on the flip side, what absolutely fires you up? that you yeah. know you just have to do something about it. So I guess what I'm saying here is uh, I would like to think, I could be wrong, that uh, some triggers are, in a way, a gift shining a light on our path. Because yeah. if it fires you up so much, and it's not just like, oh, it's really bothering me. I'm so worried. It's like, okay, pull the plug. You don't need to like watch all the social media videos. Mm-hmm. I, I get what you're saying on that. Mm-hmm. But if someone feels like, wow, I'm, I'm really triggered by this. This is really, um, I just feel so... Like I need to do something about it. I'm like, maybe that's something, maybe there's something in it. Maybe that's yeah. a bit of a pathway of where your next step in life is. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So um two things. There's a few things that you said. <laughs> so um the first thing is positive triggers, yes. So in um in the coaching realm and specifically NLP, there's a thing called resource anchors. You might have heard of it. So the resource anchor is a simple thing. And it's basically um you can't see me, but I'm squeezing the end of my index finger. I'm squeezing it. Okay. So that's what we call a triggerable anchor. So what I can do is I can ask a person and say, listen, when was the last time you had a really great experience doing da, 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 da. So it might be like someone, and this is, I'll get into this one. So, so they'll say, well, I did this thing where I was um, surfing and I finally got the surfing right. And I've been surfing ever since. And I had this amazing wave the other day. And I said, great. So go, go inside and just find that memory just before you got into the on on the board and you had that great experience and they give me a nod and I say great now squeeze that tip of your index finger while you're experiencing that memory and they'll go into it now as you're experiencing the memory I want you to make it a bit brighter I want you to make it a bit warmer I want you to imagine you're it's a little bit larger than life and they and they'll start to lift up and, and start tingling and then and then they'll finish the ride they'll be lying down on the board and I said release that anchor now what we've created now we do that three or four times so we build so it's literally like smelling mum's baking you know you walk into a house you smell yeah it's pavlov so you're building a pavlov triggered anchor so i've done this with many people um people are going into a major business meeting i had a guy who was also going into his fear fear of public speaking and he had to talk at his brother's wedding so we did a few things. There was a little bit of regression in terms of like he had something that happened at his first day of school. <laughs> no surprises there. Mm-hmm. We cleaned that up. And then I said, well, where do you notice you can speak just with your, with, you know, with complete comfort? And he said, well, when I'm with my mates telling some stories, crap. So when was the last time you were with your mates? So we did that whole thing. So then what you do, Natalie, is you say, okay, so you know, this thing's coming up, right? He says, yeah, okay, so what we're going to do is here's the scenario. I want you to imagine that you're in the audience and you can see yourself over there getting up to give the speech, but not yet. Okay, so so what you're doing is in third person, you say like, okay, so I can you can see yourself. Okay, you're getting up now, squeeze your anchor. And so what that will do is that'll trigger the positive experiences that he's had speaking to mates, Mm-hmm. sports teams or whatever whatever it is and he's now associating that to seeing himself getting up on stage and I said notice how that feels he said, well I can see myself getting up on stage and it feels okay feels good so all we're doing is called mapping we're mapping one um positive structural uh ability into a different context. That's all we're doing. So we'll do that three or four times. And I said, now I want you to do is in a moment, I'm going to ask you to squeeze your finger once again, but this time you're going to be sitting in the seat and they're going to ask you to get up to speak and you squeeze it and then blah, blah, blah. And I want you to, and this is the fun part, as I say, I want you to try as hard as you can to feel anxious about it now and notice what's happening instead. And they can't. <laughs> and it's simply because as soon as your brain has a positive structured anchor it can't do the opposing emotional state at the same time you can't do happy sad at the same time because they're 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 wired differently so basically we're just tricking the brain body system into so anyway i got this text from this guy he goes oh my god if, if, if i was gay i'd marry you because oh my god i did the most amazing speech i've ever done in my entire life 
you know, and there were 200 people there. I mean, it's a true story. That's what he wrote, which was a bit weird. But that's what we were doing. We were just basically moving, mapping. And this is how sports people do this. You know, some sports, the Crow brothers went from cricket into golf. I think that's how it went. And a lot of people ask, how do they do that? Well, the fundamental essence of any good sportsmanship is mental attitude. It's probably about 90% of it. So they just mapped that mental attitude and a bunch of skills that they could associate across, but they mapped the attitude. They had such a successful state of mind that they felt they were pretty much probably bulletproof. They mapped that across into the new sport, and that's how they did so well, or one of them at least did so well in the other sport. That is so, it's such a great technique because it's, so you're mapping the attitude and I wrote down anchoring. We do, I do that with essential oils as well. So anchoring a positive experience to a certain smell. But what I love about that is some people would be like, oh, just pretend you're with your mates. Pretend your mates are in the audience. It's like, no, no, you can't just positive your way through. You have to have a special technique that you basically anchoring it into your brain. So it makes that association subconsciously. Yeah. And there's a saying that we don't want to be building the plane while we're falling through the sky. (laughs) And it's like, you know, it's like you you can't, you know, once you're in the anxious state or once you're in that, that uncomfort state, it's really difficult to build the comfort state because you're not mapped mm. to the right neurological structure. And so that's why we we do it proactively. So it's basically proactive imprinting is what we're doing. It sounds technical, but it's not. It's basically utilizing existing positive structures, finding a resourceful anchor so that we can trigger that. Oh, and that's what he did. He got to the wedding and just as they asked him to step up, he squeezed his finger yeah he squeezed his finger and he got the good feeling and he stood up and just nailed it so you know it but that was a proactively Mm -hmm. um done strategic process now i've done that with business people have done with sports people have done with you know even with people with you know really chronic anxiety so no matter how much anxiety someone has they everyone has one or two good memories where they weren't anxious. You know, a good question is asked, well, where are you when you're not anxious? How do you know when, you know, what happened recently where you weren't feeling anxious? And everyone has an answer for that. They might have to look a bit, but they'll have it. So there's your there's your anchorable, you know, state. For those people listening, we would love to hear from you. What is resonating for you with this discussion around navigating the psychological triggers? If you've just joined us, I'm talking to Aaron McLaughlin. He's based in Christchurch. Um, he can obviously help you if you if you have got something coming up that triggers you and you want to work through it. But what is what is uh, resonating for you, or what is a place that where you feel absolute ease? Do do let us know. You can send a text twenty fifty seven or inbox at realitycheck.radio on the email. Let's talk a little bit about the election. Well, post-election, is this something in terms of Kiwis and how we feel in terms of it was a big buildup to the election? Some people thought, I think you and I were discussing earlier, that this is going to be the white night. You know, it's going to save us or change things. What are the emotions that are around at the moment or post-election? And how can people positively move forward? Because a lot of people will be feeling that kind of grief or sadness or anger about the outcome that wasn't what they were hoping for? Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think that the first thing that came to mind when you said, you know, what is the main emotion? It's fear. You know, it's the fear of the same thing happening again. Potentially, it's the same of a loss of freedoms. It's, a, you know, the fear, the fear of uh, no change, you know. And I think that has been an overriding. And so with that, we are, you know, we're once again in that state of don't think of a black cat, you know, I don't want this to happen. I don't want that to happen. And it seems to, it, it fills the system. Post-election, we're, we're still thinking, well, where do we go from here? What does this actually mean now? You know, there's all these conversations that are going on. Um, once again, the query is, what is in my personal sphere of influence? What am I in control of? I can't control these people up top. I can't, I've done all I'm technically allowed to do or enabled to do, and that is vote. You know, that's it. I've done it. Um, I've, I've 
done whatever I did leading up to it. And now I'm happy with or miserable about or dealing with the consequences. That still is my internal response to whatever's happened. And so my internal response is still the thing that is in my sphere of influence. If I'm feeling uncomfortable, that's probably because I expected something else. You know, we could get glib and a little bit, you know, um, cliche about it and say, well, it is what it is. Well, that's kind of <laughs> upset a lot of people. The fundamental thing is what I'm feeling about what's happened is the thing I need to work on. A possible query there is, well, how much of my personal safety, security and well-being is based on an external experience defining my happiness? Okay, well, that's not a healthy place to be in. And we've learned that over the last three years. That's just not a healthy place to be in because, well, we see what happens when that happens. You know, in, in you know all spiritual texts, it's called the illusion. The illusion out there is defining how I'm supposed to feel in here rather than me deciding how I want to feel. And that's the, that's the query. Okay, so this has happened with the election. All right, it's all out of my control now. What do I want? What are my skills? What are my resources? And as you might put it, okay, what are my new goals? What are the new benchmarks that I'm making? How do I see myself at the end of this year? Like, you know, picture myself sitting around, let's call it the cliche Christmas Day sort of scenario. Some people, that's not a good thing. Or it might be the New Year's Eve thing, whatever kind of, you know, um, rocks your boat. But fundamentally, what is, how do I, see myself at the end of the year? How do I want to see myself at the end of the year? One thing I've noticed with respect to um, these sorts of things that's helped so many people is the one thing I'm in control of all of the time is how I choose to project myself in my imagination into the future. Mm. Yeah. The one thing we know scientifically now because they can read brain scans and all that sort of stuff if i can see myself let's say something's coming like, let's say something's coming up um mid-november you know you've got a a big event coming up and you're not really sure how it's going to go if i can see myself on the 20th of november smiling because it's done i can see myself a little bit larger than life just standing there smiling not because it went well not because it went poorly just because it's done science now can measure that your cortisol goes down <laughs> your dopamine goes you know all of the 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 kind of the the risk factor adrenal stuff drops down because i've literally told my primal brain i survive this now if we repeatedly do that now i've helped so many people with anxiety is can you see yourself at the end of the day smiling because the day is done? Doesn't matter what's happened in between. Can you see yourself smiling? Yes, I can. Now make that image brighter. So immediately they'll relax. Their reptilian or whatever animalistic brain has suddenly gone, oh, we're going to survive this. So all of that flight or fight stuff drops down. And that's what I'm kind of thinking, you know, now that it's over, now that we're looking back, it's done. Mm. Nothing has really changed for me personally. I've still got to influence my own life. I've still got my groups, my workshops, my clients, occasional flute funeral that I that I um, work with. And can I see myself at the end of the week smiling because those things are done to my best ability? Yes, I can. What happens internally when I do that? Any potential anxiety drops down. Any potentially potential possibility for triggering in a negative way mm -hmm. drops down. What will that do also? It opens me up for the potential, the curious potential of recognizing that which triggers positive response, joyful response, inspirational response. What a simple technique. Yeah. I, I really love it because I love the focus on it's done. It's neither, you know, it's neither it's good or bad because most people would try to visualize themselves doing a great job, whatever. Let's say they're in a running race and they're really worried about it. Yeah. And they'd, and then their mind would, you know, come and go with them tripping over or 
yeah, yeah. false start or whatever the case may be, but you're like, no, smiling because it's done. And that's simple. And I think everyone can do it. Thank you. I love giving my audience actionable tips. I think make, that, make that smiling because it's done. Yep. Make that image. Remember, now more than ever, we're visually primary. We're mm. visual primary. Yeah. So see yourself and make that image a little bit brighter than natural, a little bit larger than life. So it's almost super, superhuman. Yeah. You, you kind of just, what they do in Hollywood. I mean, I haven't seen the movie, but I saw a few ads of the Barbie thing. I don't want uh, But anyway, but the, but what they've done is they've yeah. hyper-realized it. So there's yeah. an aspect of it where you go, wow, you know, the colors, the everything's hyper-realized. So why aren't we doing that with our subconscious? Why aren't we giving ourselves hyper-realized, compelling mm-hmm. kind of images of ourselves just smiling because we're on the other side of the thing that was potentially causing us all these mental problems? Yeah. Well, I can see myself smiling at the end of this conversation I'm having with you going, yeah, Oh, that's done. <laughs> and I didn't swear. It was fantastic. Amazing. You made it through. One other yeah. thing that I, I just got to throw in here. I've been saying it a lot, but um, I, I always said to people, you know, don't put all your eggs in the election basket, meaning, uh, you know, you we are so powerful on our own in terms of how we show up in the world and also the collective impact that we can have on how things roll out. It's not just what happened at the voting booth. So I wanted to highlight that again. Um yeah. Anyone, yeah. do you want to comment on that before I take you to the four questions that I ask everybody? Uh, not really. I think, you know, I, I just have to go on my own anecdotal experience. I mean, I was standing in Christchurch. I was watching a march. I didn't want to be involved in it. Police were there and all this sort of stuff. And a couple of people passed by me. A woman comes right up to me and she just looks me in the eye and says, you're the Aaron guy. And I said, uh, yes, maybe. <laughs> she said, you're that guy that did that talk about anxiety and I said yes that's right I am she says wow was amazing she says I just keep it I wake up the morning she says I I see myself at the end of the day smiling Mm -hmm. because it's all done and she goes you know what life is so much easier and then she just had a sip of a coffee and walked away (laughs) it was the (laughs) weirdest experience but it was just you know I've had so much feedback that when we remove, it sounds kind of, it sounds the opposite to everything we think we know about coaching. Mm-hmm. But when we see ourselves just on the other side, not hyped up, not, you know, whatever it is because we're amazing or whether, you know, whatever, it's just we can see ourselves on the other side smiling because it's done. It's That's a whole different neurological structure. And that talks directly to the very deep primal part of us that's constantly in that kind of high acuity flight or fight potential sort of state. So we see ourselves out there smiling, it's done. Mm-hmm. Oh, we don't have to, we don't have to, you know, be the conqueror of the universe. We don't have to be the millionaire or whatever, or having run the race. It's just, it's done. That The beauty of that is, and I want to say this because I've had the feedback from it so many times, is that when we do it that way, Natalie, the brain-body system then goes, ah, it relaxes, and you immediately tap into the much deeper resources, resilience, skill, whatever you need to actually surprise yourself. And a lot of what I talk about in in the workshops and stuff is when we see ourselves out in the future, can we also later on imagine ourselves experiencing more and more surprise and delight? Because we're surprising ourselves by just having that 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 charge of curiosity of going, well, what if? Something happens out there in the future that surprises and delights me beyond what I ever thought possible. And so it's kind of like at that moment, I'm giving it out to the universe, saying, give me what you got, surprise and delight me. Because I know, I don't know about you're the same, but I've tried to plan a lot of stuff. (laughs) Seriously, best made plans. Fundamentally, I've found that I can't plan a lot anymore. I don't know if it's the calm or whatever. I can plan a little. But what I've found is amazing things tend to happen more when I just put it out there that I'm on the other side and I've survived this. I'm I'm good. Now, mm. surprise and delight me with what comes next. Yeah. And I've found that that's mind-blowing. 
You know, I just got to chime in here because when I read your bio, of course, I'm thinking, oh, he sounds like a manifesting generator, which is multi-passionate. And one of the secrets, I don't know if you are, but one of the secrets for manifesting generators is not to plan too much far in advance because your superpower is living in the moment and to be guided only by and say yes only to what lights you up. And when you live Mm -hmm. like that, invitations and opportunities will come your way. That's the surprise and delight. Yeah. Amazing. Now let's. Yeah. Look it up. Let me know. Um, okay. Four words that are going to change your life, everybody. Smile because it's done. Thank you so much, yeah. Aaron. Let's nice. talk about up your brave. What is one thing you've done in the last year where you truly upped your brave? You know what? I think I, I'm going to actually say I, I've worked with over the last 18 months. I, I just I, I set up a group called Courageous Conversations in Christchurch. And and it, and it was just simply because no one was doing it. And I couldn't work out why. There's all these psychologists out there and all these people and no one, no one in, in our VFF realm or any, every, anything, it, it was doing a group that I knew of and I was putting the word out there. And so I set it up and these people turned up and they shared. And I think it, in that, the answer to that query is I think it was courageous to set it up. But what I've noticed is the up the brave of all of these men and women who keep turning up. We've got a profound core group of people who've gotten through some truly horrific situations and they've come out the other side having, you know, little tools, little strategies, little things, you know, strat, strat, strategic rather than story. Mm-hmm. That's the key, you know, structural rather than the Shortland Street of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that has been so amazing to watch. And I think that's that's the answer to that question for me. Really, it sounds amazing. I love the sound of that. Mm-hmm. Maybe in a moment you can tell us how they can find out more if they do live in Christchurch. Sure. What about your bucket list? Something that you'd love to do, be, or experience in your lifetime that we can maybe help you with? Well, I mean, I don't know if anyone can help me with this, but I, I have a mental picture of, of delight and surprise because I'm on a little sailboat on a little harbor because that's just that's where I want to go next you know this sort of sense of um you know things are changing constantly in life and um I, I you know I sort of feel I'd I'd like to spend more time on the water and this sort of thing so I can that's my bucket list thing I've traveled a lot and done a lot of wonderful things with people and and still do and still will and yet my downtime is actually just a little yacht on a little harbor, just just chilling out, you know. Yeah, it sounds amazing. A, and sometimes with a little we fishing don't, rod, <laughs> we don't need to know the concrete details of no, where it is or no. who you're with or yeah. the size of the yacht. It's like that's just the vision: no. is it's on the water, it's on a boat. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, what is coming up for you in the next few months, and how can we connect with you online? How can they find out about courageous conversations or book you as their funeral celebrant? Or coach. Well, my funeral celebrant stuff is through Bell Lamb and Trotter in Christchurch. That's who I work with um, primarily, and it, and it's yeah, that's a whole different ball game. The, the funeral world works quite differently in respect to referrals. It's based, it's a very unusual system, but okay. yeah, I'll leave that up to people. <laughs> yeah, um, but I'm my my website's being rebuilt, and um, that's what's coming up in the next couple of months, really. And I've got someone wonderful um, doing it dear friend Deb, and she's doing that at the moment. She's snowed under, but we'll get there. But they can go to Aaron, A-R-O-N-M.co.nz. So it's aaronm.co.nz. And it's a pretty raw site, but it's got lots of videos. It's got lots of strategic videos, even a stupid one where I, the first video I think is me like that, (laughs) holding a pencil between my mouth. So the beautiful thing about strategies is if you have a, if you're feeling down, Stick a pen sideways, like that, in your mouth, and and bite down on like a dog with a bone. Everybody, like a dog with a bone. Thank you very much. And (laughs) what happens in the throat? (laughs) Yeah, on structural level, it structures your mouth into a smile, Mm. which releases endorphins related to smiling. Which now further back, a little bit further back. That's it, like that. Okay. Now try to feel now try to feel sad while you're doing that. It's structurally not possible. So it's a really interesting thing. So that's my first video. That's a great study tip, by the way, yeah. as well. For teens, if they're really stressed out, they could like and they're studying, they yeah. can do that. Or anyone at work. Yeah. Or anyone, anytime. So the website's what's coming up, Aaronm.co.nz. 
Um, and I've got my two books are on there, um, Better Sleep Sooner and Rapid Inspired Change. And they're on download at the moment because it's um, I self-published those two books. And it's actually extremely expensive to, to pull in a whole bunch of printed books. So I'm just doing it on the download at the moment. So um, and you can you can find those there. And if you have a problem, just email me. If you've got any questions, just email me. All the contact stuff is there. Um, yeah. And what about Telegram or X? Um, I'm on X, Aaron M M N Z, and I'm on Telegram at Court Jester, and it's Jester with an A on the end, not an ER. So it's at Court Jester. We will put all those links on the replay page. Cool. Um, but I think if you start off going to the website, you'll definitely yeah. be able to find Aaron McLaughlin, which is, um, you can Google him as well, I guess, but um, Aaron with a A-A-R-O-N-M dot co dot N-Z. Amazing. Yeah. So before we wrap up, Aaron, is there anything else that you would love to share with our audience today? You know what? Keep it in your sphere of influence. You know, if anything coming up, you know, the the thing that has been so useful for me, my family, and so many clients and friends is even if you're not dealing with anxiety or any, just if you've got anything that's coming up, help your brain body system to structure for joy in the future by seeing yourself on the other side of whatever's coming up. Just see yourself smiling because it's done. And, and, and then ask yourself, what if there is a future of delight and surprise? What if there is a future of delight and surprise that I am co-creating with whatever you believe is your creative source? You know, and and I kind of think that's that's it. I mean, you know, I was thinking about this talk today and I was thinking, oh, what am I going to say? Because because I knew we were going to talk about goals and stuff like that. And you said it quite well moments ago. You said, you know, I mean, why, how I work is, and, and I've found myself, I don't have a lot of ambition anymore. And I think it's partly because I'm kind of just sitting in the present moment, just noticing what I'm curious about with a sense that there's a timeline out there, a sense that there's outcomes. And, the, you know, having worked with thousands of people, I sort of go, well, actually what makes me feel happy is just leaving it up to knowing that there's this, that I'm going to be okay, noticing that there's this delight and surprise, noticing that I can only control what I can control in the moment, then I, I want to I want to notice what the universe can do. Mm. And I can't plan that, you know, and I don't actually want to. You know, nature's huge. Spirit is huge. And that's so profoundly exciting, you know. Let, let them surprise us, you know. Um, that That's my final thing. <laughs> it's so good. It sounds like you are living in that state of trust and curiosity, which is exactly- Well, I have my down moments, but yes, generally, yes. <laughs> and I'm only human. <laughs> Amazing. Well, it is, it's certainly an interesting time. Sending love to everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this really interesting interview with Aaron, where we talked about navigating the psychological triggers. Thank you so much, Aaron. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Natalie. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR. Reality Check Radio.